0: Well, good evening. Welcome to our Good Friday service where we remember the death of Jesus and all of its meaning. This evening, we will read from Scripture the story of the cross. We will worship. We will confess. We will open God's Word and be reminded of the truths of the cross. Let me pray. Father, we give you praise That from eternity past, you were pleased. That it was ultimately your plan to bring your son to a cross. To die in our place for us. And yet we confess that we are sinners. And we are deserving of death and punishment. And yet Christ died in our place. And so we come together to worship and remember the cross and what Christ did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Out of the anguish of the, his souls he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.
2: Go on up to the mountain of mercy To the crimson perpetual tide Kneel down on the shore Be thirsty no more Go under and be purified, follow Christ to the holy mountain, sinners sorry and wrecked by the fall, cleanse your heart and soul in the fountain that flows for you, for me and for all. At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree, on that beautiful, scandalous night, you and me, words sown by His blood and forever washed white, on that beautiful, scandalous night. side you will be delivered at the foot of the cross justified and your spirit restored by the river that pours from our blessed Savior's side at the wonderful tragic mysterious tree on that beautiful scandalous night you on that beautiful, scandalous night. Go on up to the mountain of mercy, to the crimson perpetual tide. Kneel down on the shore, Be thirsty no more, go wander and be purified. At the wonderful, tragic, mysterious tree, on that beautiful, scandalous night, you and me, were torn by His blood and forever washed white on that beautiful, scandalous night. How much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. No, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin. You're my God You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together to me and I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon.
3: the fate of the universe turned on one sentence pressed from Jesus like the oil from an olive not my will but your will be done the disciples watched as Jesus cried out it is finished but what was finished wasn't Jesus' life was everything separating us from God's love. God with us became God for us by giving up his life to rescue us. If you would please read with me the part of the people as we read the corporate confession. Like the disciples in Gethsemane, we fell away from prayer at the beginning of the trial. Forgive us, O Lord, for we know not what we do. Like Caliphus in the High Council, we spit in your face and slapped the Son of God. Forgive us, O God, for we know not what we do. Like Peter, three times when questioned, we denied knowing the God, Son of God. Forgive us, O God, for we know not what we do. Like the people who cried out, for Barabbas, we yelled let Christ be crucified forgive, forgive us, us O God, for we know not what we do like Pilate, before the yelling crowds we wash our hands and wrongfully say I am innocent of this man's blood forgive us O God, we know not what we do like the soldiers who prepared Jesus for his crucifixion we have stripped you placing a crown of thorns on your head, bending our knees not to praise you, but to mock you. Forgive us, our God, for we know not what we do. Like the centurion standing at the foot of the cross, we hear Jesus of Nazareth cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the distance, the curtain of the temple is torn. The earth begins to shake under a sky of darkness, and we look up filled with awe. Truly, this was the Son of God.
2: I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love. I
4: And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine and mixed myrrh, and he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was their third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they were crucified, two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, waging their heads, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see him and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him.
2: And when I serve the
0: pray with me. Father, we stand here. We stand here condemned and yet we stand here for those of us who know Jesus. We stand here at the same time and can sing and can say the wonderful cross. Christ would do what we could never do for ourselves. What a mystery that is. Condemn people bought with the blood of the land. We love you and thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can stand in the forgiveness that Christ offers us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you grab a seat? Well, there are different names that have been given over the centuries for this day. This day that Jesus died on a cross Silent Friday, Black Friday, Morning Friday on one side to consider the depth of sin and the darkness of this day. And on the other side, we see historically some other names for this day. Happy Friday, Wonderful Friday, and we call it Good Friday. And it certainly is good, but we ought not lose sight of the horrific nature of this day that our sin put Christ on a cross. Reflecting on that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer captured this tragedy of sin with these words. Good Friday is not the darkness that must necessarily yield to light. Good Friday is not the winter sleep that contains and nourishes the seed of life within. Good Friday is the day on which human beings kill God, who became human." The love that became person, the day on which the Holy One of God dies, truly dies. Good Friday is genuinely the end, the, the end of guilty humanity and the judgment that humanity has pronounced upon itself. You see, Good Friday reminds us of the severity and the seriousness of sin, but it also reminds us of the sweetness of our Savior. How do you see your sin? Do you see your sin as an offense to God? Do you see your sin as something that's serious before God? Do you see your sin as something that you need to confess before God? Do you humble yourself because of your sin? Or do you treat your sin flippantly before God? Do you just say, oh, I know God's gonna forgive me before you do something? I'm a sinner, and so that's what sinners do. They just sin. And when someone calls you for your sin, do you say, oh, I'm just joking. It's not that bad. I wanna show you how God sees our sin. Not to leave you there, but to let you appreciate the sweetness of the Savior. Three things that the Bible tells us about sin, and three things out of that that we can see the beauty and the sweetness of Jesus and what he did on a cross over 2,000 years ago. First of all, sin is a debt. Sin is a debt. Jesus said it in this way when he's telling his disciples how to pray. He says he's teaching them how to pray, and he says, forgive Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he's not really talking about money there. He's talking about sin. And if you know the parable of the unforgiving servant from Matthew 18, we see this unforgiving servant. And you see this obligation to forgive one another. And what does Jesus root it in? He roots it in God's forgiveness of us. You see, sin is a debt. And if sin is a debt, we are debtors, and we got a major problem because God, He's the creditor. That presents an incredible problem for us. You see, there's nothing we can do to repay this debt. There's no funds that we have are sufficient enough, number one, and number two, God doesn't take any of our forms of payment. When I think about creditors, and debt. I think about mafia movies. I think about a mafia boss. I think about the debtor who comes to the mafia boss and it's never going to be a good deal. Like this whole, the way that these terms are, are negotiated isn't going to be good for the debtor. And this mafia boss creditor, when the debtor comes back to him and he can't fulfill the debt or he can't pay it off, there's usually two options. One, you're going to do something for me to repay this debt, and it's usually something illegal and bad. And if you don't make it through that, and we still have problems, then you're going to take a ride. You're going to take a ride in the car, or you're going to take a ride on the boat, and you're not returning. Fortunately for us, that's not the creditor that God is. But let me tell you something. The debt is even greater for us. The debt is greater because we can't repay it. There's nothing we can do to repay it, and yet God the creditor is still merciful, and He's still gracious. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. That's a major problem that we have before a holy God, that we have a debt that we can't repay, but look at what Jesus does. Hebrews 7, 22, it says this, where Jesus and the author of Hebrews is speaking about for seven chapters how Jesus is better. He's better than the high priest. Then he comes here and he says Jesus is the guarantor. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is the one who co-signs on the debt. And the beauty of Jesus is, is that he co-signs on the debt. And he knows that we can't repay it. And he does it still. Colossians 2 says this about our debt. Verse 14, it says this, Christ, isn't this beautiful, look at this, Christ cancels. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You know what Christ did on the cross? He said, it is finished, the debt of sin is paid. See, we have a debt. The sin is a debt We are debtors. God is a creditor. But our guarantor, the one who pays our debt, is Christ. Isn't that beautiful? It's the beauty of the cross. It's the sweetness of the cross. This is what makes Good Friday good. That defaulted debtors have a guarantor who pays the debt of sin on our behalf. Let me ask you. Have you dealt with The record of debt that sits on you that you can't repay. There are no funds. There are no ways for you to pay this back. And yet Christ dies in your place to pay your debt. But here's the thing. It gets a little bit worse. Not only do we have an accounting problem with God... We also have a relational problem with God. You see, sin is actually relational hostility against God. This is what we learn from the opening pages of Scripture. When you turn to Genesis 1, what you see is a loving God creating All of this in creating man and woman, creating Adam and Eve. And what does the Bible say? It says they had relationship with one another, that God would walk in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve would be in the garden. And there was relationship. There was closeness of relationship. And yet, what did Adam and Eve do? They fell into sin. They made the choice to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that broke relationship with God. What you see from that point moving forward is you see this conflict. The the Bible uses the term enmity or strife. It's hostility. So now man has made himself an enemy of God. See, sin is hostility, and we are enemies. All the way through the Old Testament and New, what you see is man violating relationship with God. God is the one who is violated. And then you see, even in the New Testament, you see this picture of how we are enemies of God. Jesus isn't your homeboy, okay? He's not. Apart from Christ, Jesus is not your friend. There's conflict. There's enmity between us and God without Christ. But how does Christ play into this broken relationship? Look at the beauty of this. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this, for there is one God and there is one. One mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. What do we do in relationships when they're broken and we have two warring parties against one another and we can't work it out? You think about that on a world stage right now. You think about Russia violating the sovereignty of Ukraine and invading them. And what are the world powers and the people of the world trying to do? They're trying to mediate, to stop this madness When you think about work and two companies against one another that had a partnership and that partnership goes wrong, and you have to call the lawyer to do what? Mediate these two warring parties. And when you think about the relational strife in your own life, maybe with a spouse or a child or with a friend or somebody you go to church with, what do you need at some point if you can't work it out? You need a mediator. You need someone to help you reconcile. This is what Christ does. He's the only mediator. There's no other mediator to make right your relationship with God. Only Christ is what this text says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says this of God who desires to bring reconciliation. God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. You see, the way that you and I can be reconciled and be made right with God is not on our own. There's no way you can restore a broken relationship with a holy God. Only Christ can do that. He is our mediator. You see, at the, cro- at the cross, we see this. As the mediator, as the one who's reconciling, what do you see the people doing to Jesus? You see the Jews saying, crucify You see, the Romans scourging him, putting a cross on his back, putting nails in his hands, and putting him on the cross and mocking him. This is what we do as well with our sin. And yet he says what? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you have a right relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God through the mediator, Jesus Christ? How is Good Friday good? Good Friday is good because defaulted debtors, debts are paid by Jesus. But Good Friday is also good because the sinful enemies of God are now made allies. And it's better than that, isn't it? We're not only allies, he brings former enemies into his family, as adopted sons and daughters of the king. You're not just an ally, you're family. That's a love and that's a grace that this world knows nothing of. So sin is a debt, sin is hostility. We've got an accounting problem, we have a relational problem, but we also have a legal problem in the fact that we break the law. We're lawbreakers. You see, sin is a crime. We think about the definition of sin, and it's more than this, right? Sin is, certainly starts with our sinful desires because we've been born into sin. We have desires and then we act on them. But sin is not less than a failure to do what? A failure to keep God's law, His standards, His rule. And when we sin against God, it's a crime Against him, kids, I want you to think about your, your own household, okay? I want you to think about the rules of your house, the laws of your house. Who makes those laws in your home, kids? Your parents do. Your parents made these laws. Do you get any vote on those laws or those rules in your house? I know as you get older, you try to negotiate. I get it. You don't have a say. Why? Because you're not the authority. Your parents are the authority. And we could go there with your parents when they get pulled over. You could come tell us about that. By the police officer. And try to wiggle their way out. But there's a law that they've broken. They've sped to church too fast. I'll let you all. They've broken a law. The same thing you would find at school or at work. There are certain laws See, this is the way sin is. See, sin is a crime, and it makes us criminals. And here's the real problem. God is the judge. He is a just judge. But one of the main questions of the crucifixion in the Bible is this. How can a just judge take unjust sin And make those criminals just again without violating his justice. That's a lot of justice. Here's how. Isaiah 53, we read it just a minute ago. I'm going to hone in on two verses so you get the gist of it. He was pierced. Christ was pierced. The Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to our own way, and the Lord did what? He laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, we don't have it up here, but it says it this way. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God the Father laid on Christ He laid on him. He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, to take sin on himself, that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. The crux of the crucifixion is this. Christ is our substitute. He's our substitute, that he died in our place to satisfy the justice of God as also to pay the sin debt that we have. See, Christ stands in the place of true criminals. You and I are the true criminals. Here's the sweetness. Why? Why would he pay a debt as a guarantor? Why would he take a broken relationship and mediate it? Between us and God. Why would he take criminals? And die as a substitute in our place. We don't deserve that. Why would he do that? Simple answer. Profound. Simple, but profound. You know the passage. For God so loved. The world that he did what? He gave He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's His love that motivated Him. It's His grace and His mercy that motivate Him. He gave Christ as a substitute for us. Why do we need the cross? We need the cross because we have a debt that we can't pay. We need the cross because we have a relationship that's been broken and we can't fix it. We need the cross because we're the true criminals. And Christ died as a criminal on a criminal's cross for our sins. But here's the thing. Today, Good Friday. Today is about half of the truths we need to understand about the gospel. See, the gospel is the good news of Christ and the good news, about half of it is, is that he died on a cross for all the reasons that I've unpacked. But the other, other half of it comes on Sunday. See, Easter Sunday tells us of the resurrection. When we talk and use the language, just FYI, when we use the language of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, it is both Friday and Sunday to finish Bonhoeffer's quote, he hypothetically considers the thought that Christ dies, and that's it. And he says this. Listen to this. If history would have ended on Good Friday, then the final pronouncement over humankind would be guilt. It would be guilt. The final human pronouncement would be rebellion, godlessness, and ultimately despair. And our faith, it would be futile. Because we are still in the guilt of our sin and we are the most, as Paul would say, to be pitied. In other words, Jesus, Jesus dies and that's all she wrote. That we're in deep trouble. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. Satan is laughing. But Jesus, he promised more. He promised to defeat sin, to conquer death, to put Satan in his rightful place. And he promised a sure and everlasting hope, the hope of Easter Sunday. It's Friday, but Sunday, it's a coming. Let me pray. Father, it's good for us. To consider our sin before you, a holy God who is just, who is the creditor, who has been violated. It's good and right for us to understand our helpless plight, but you don't leave us there. And it's also good for us to consider. How God, you take the initiative in all three of those cases we looked at today. You take the initiative to cancel our debt. You take the initiative to take a warring party, an enemy, and make him a friend. Father, you take the initiative to even put your son on a cross, to die in our place. And so we can worship. We can say, this is a marvelous day. It's a wonderful day. It's Good Friday. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. In Jesus' name.
2: the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away, has wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. in anything no gifts no power no
1: wisdom
2: but I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection why should I gain from his reign I know with all my heart his words have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart his words. Have paid my ransom.
5: And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani," which means, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And some of the bystanders hearing it said, "Behold, he is calling Elijah." And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, This man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb, that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Make no mistake, that's not where this story ends. And you're gonna wanna be in this room on Sunday at 10 o'clock to hear the rest. We ask that tonight you exit the sanctuary in silence and hold your conversation until outside. Go in peace.